Hi, welcome back to Decrypt. I'm your host, Nick Rice, and we're super excited to be back after a six-month hiatus from season one. In season two of Decrypt, we're going to be talking about even more emerging technology and risks issues across the global landscape. Over the past six months, we've seen a huge array of development, whether that be from cyber threat actors, regulatory powers coming into play on generative AI, on emerging technologies and across a number of different countries across the world. But more importantly, we've been working with our clients tirelessly and helping them manage the acute crisis that stemmed from increasing digitalization of their assets. For today, I'm really, really glad to welcome back Steve Sachs. Steve is a director in our Washington, D.C. office and has been supporting our America's clients in managing the risks coming from cybersecurity and digital transformations over the past couple of years with us. Steve comes from an illustrious career in the Marine Corps in the U.S., uh, and has had a swath of different experiences that he's already shared with us on Decrypt, but I'm sure he'll be glad to share with us today. And a newcomer to the podcast and to Control Risk, Caitlin Egan. Caitlin has joined Control Risks over the past months or so, and uh, is based out of London, but she oversees our global client relationships and business development in the cybersecurity and digital risks practice. Caitlin comes to Control Risks after more than a decade of experience working with startups in the emerging tech space, and I'm sure we'll have plenty to contribute to our discussion today and to future Decrypt episodes. Caitlin, welcome to the podcast and welcome to Control Risks. Thank you very much, Nick. Okay, guys, so for today, we're going to be talking about generative AI. And for those of you who've been following Decrypt over the past year or so, you you will have seen that we've already discussed a fair number of different aspects related to artificial intelligence. Uh, most of these have come in the form of looking at how healthy data management, healthy baseline cybersecurity, and really sort of keeping up with the landscape was critical for most organizations in dealing with what has been one of the most fast-paced, I would say, and, and slightly exhausting uh, public discourse and, and, and even corporate discourse around generative AI. Well, it's been a year now, roughly a year and a bit more since the release of ChatGPT, which was a trigger for many organizations, many executives, and many boards uh, to look at artificial intelligence and specifically generative artificial intelligence as a business opportunity. And in the security community, in the risk management community, uh, many white hair have been gained over the attempts to manage the enthusiasm of business executives in the implementation of this technology, which is fundamentally, although not new, certainly its rollout has been incredibly frantic and fast-paced. Well, this is what we're going to talk about today, really, guys. We're looking to understand where we are now how the technology a year on has evolved, and whether or not it's met a lot of the expectations that we talked about on this podcast eight months ago. We also want to dive into the risks that have materialized versus the ones that had been predicted or that are still being discussed. And we want to make sure that our listeners and our clients are focused on the right things. So Part of this is going to be about understanding the evolution of the regulatory sector, but also a part of this is going to be about understanding what threat actors and companies have been doing. So with that being said, um, I read yesterday, and Steve, this is going to head up to you, that uh, the U.S. at a state level had pushed more than 25 different bills for legislating generative AI. 
some of these bills apparently also included attempts to regulate whether or not AI could launch uh, autonomously nuclear warheads. Um, we've seen a lot of discussions around where the technology was heading, the regulatory environment. Can you shed a little bit of light on what regulators have been doing and importantly, whether or not the risks that they've been focusing on are the right ones? Absolutely. Thanks, Nick. I feel like you were looking right at me when you said that white. I know comment. there's a camera just behind my screen. <laughs> so now I'm looking on the edge. Perfect. Um, so in the regulatory space, a lot has happened and not a lot has happened. And what I mean by that is we have regulators, legislators who continue to attempt to keep pace with the technological ecosystem, like the development of these AI tools. And it's near impossible for the private sector to keep up. You can only imagine how difficult it is for government and public sector to try to maintain that pace. So what we've seen is regulators try to tackle the topics that, that we think are going to be most static in that space. And, and what I'm talking about is things like in the EU AI Act, where they, they talk about tearing out criticality of AI systems. And it's really based on the potential impact if something were to go wrong. So we're talking about AI systems that impact medical devices or medical procedures. We're talking about AI and critical infrastructure. We're talking about AI and education and vocational training, things that our legislators and governments have decided would have very high levels of impact societally if something were to go wrong with these AI systems. So that's one piece that that we that that legislators feel is going to remain fairly static as AI continues to evolve. The other piece they're tackling is the data itself, and that's both on the input side and the output side. So on the input side, there's the validation of training data. And, and I'll say, I think China's actually leading the way on this here, where they have a suite of either draft guidance or, or interim regulations that have come out with pretty high fidelity metrics about training data, where they're getting into the weeds of you know 5% of any training data set that, that doesn't have safe information or valid information. That whole training set needs to be thrown out and can't be used in the development of that AI platform or, or model. On the output side, we're talking about, are the outputs of these systems accurate? Are they unbiased? Are they reflective of the training data that each kind of algorithm has been trained on? And then we're, the, the legislation also looks at follow-on remediation. And again, I'll, I'll say China, I think, is leading the way here on putting deliberate timelines on when you know an AI system gone wrong is identified, how long does that developer have to identify the issue, remediate the issue, and then push out an update to all of its users? And then finally, they're looking at kind of the fairness and equality aspect uh, of law. And I'll say the United States AI blueprint is one that heavily focuses on that. And we're looking at making sure that you know, society has equal access to these AI tools, right, as we see them as accelerators in societal development, but also that the use of these tools does not cause any unfairness or inequality to continue to emerge in society. So, uh, I, sorry, Steve, I want to I want to interrupt you here because we're going to, if not, we're going to go for two hours just talking about regulation. And I, I want to get Caitlin's take on this. But before, before going to you, Caitlin, I mean, one of the things that I'd like us to come back to is maybe trying to draw a bit of a comparative exercise between what we're seeing in the AI space from a governmental and regulatory side versus what we have previously seen either from a data privacy or any technology regulations, you know, a decade ago, when we were looking at sort of the state of legislation for anything related to 
computer networks to cybersecurity, it was sparse. We had a couple of acts, whether in the UK or in the US, that looked really at the basics of hacking as the thing to regulate. And then sort of post-2017 and and both the CSL in China and, and the GDPR in the EU in, in 2018, we saw an explosion of different frameworks. So I just I'd like us to to think about the challenges of generative AI regulation for private sector organization in light of what has been a real hammering in a short five years of regulatory frameworks impacting the way we build our networks. But with that in mind, Caitlin, I'm really interested in your take and in your experience, having been in that sort of emerging tech sector for quite a while now and having seen different pieces of technology sort of advances. How's, what's, your, what's your reaction to what you're seeing from a, an AI perspective and a regulatory perspective? So from my perspective, having been more on the supply side, and also consulted organizations trying to get up to speed on the regulatory front. I think it's important to view everything through a slightly technology neutral lens. And I think some of the recent legislation and privacy has done a good job at that. For example, GDPR looks at all technology that processes and hosts private data, regardless of what the technology is. Steve makes a good point that there are certain static parameters to different types of technology, particularly with AI that require um, more core fundamentals and risk controls. But essentially, I think it's really important to view all new technology in the context of your broader risk management framework and understand that new technology sits very nicely within the existing regulatory structure. But then you have to consider and anticipate and look down the road at what's coming as the governments are giving you heads up and not be rushing last minute like we saw with GDPR, many organizations getting things done past the deadline um, so it's a mixture of understanding that new technology can be onboarded within your broader risk environment and also keeping eyes on what's down the road and what's emerging. It, that's a really good point, Caitlin, because I think what's been confusing for a lot of executives, maybe less so for CISOs and CTOs who have been sort of knee deep in some of this challenge. I mean, that's certainly an aspect that I've discussed with a number of our clients, but more importantly, that we've been discussing with internally at control risks, you know, the, the sort of buzz that AI generated and the, the sort of reaction of, of the advents of the technology and the rollout of that technology at a corporate level has sort of been uh, itself a generator of confusion from compliance or from a compliance perspective. Uh, fundamentally, we're still talking about ones and zeros. We're still talking about data moving from point A to point B, and we're still talking about computer systems enabling that to happen. So there is a very valid element here to say, slow down. Uh, you probably already comply with a number of the requirements that are coming. But that's where we need to make a differentiation. I think, Steve, the echo you made to the EU AI Act is really relevant for most of our client organization. Not all of us are equal in that space. And we have many organizations who are dealing with innovative use cases that have yet to be regulated because fundamentally the capabilities afforded by artificial intelligence are bringing new types of, of processing of computational powers and, and certainly of applications. So I'm thinking here, if you're a big tech company, if you work in the facial recognition space, if you work in, uh, you know, some of the automated operational technology spaces, there's probably going to be new elements of compliance that haven't impacted you before. Uh, Steve, what's your kind of take on this, having, having been advising clients for a little while? Um, and Whilst you answer, I'm going to close the door because apparently people are very loud here. 
Yeah. So I think there's actually a lot of tie-ins here to the data privacy regulatory environment and regimes that I know Caitlin mentioned a little bit earlier, where companies are going to be forced to devote even more bandwidth to keeping the pulse on the regulatory environment. Because as you mentioned, Nick, there's a lot of confusion amongst compliance experts at companies, general counsels, but also among the legislators themselves. And so I think what we're going to see is a lot of whiplash in the space where threats are identified, they get caught up in kind of the regulatory space, and all of a sudden there's a new guidance or, or law on the books that companies are going to have to comply with. And that's going to be across multiple jurisdictions. So similar to how companies right now are trying to grapple of where their user bases are, their data subjects, where their operations are, which data privacy regimes actually apply to them and which don't, I think we're going to see a similar kind of experience for compliance individuals within companies within the AI space where they both have to maintain awareness of what's going on with across all of their operational jurisdictions, but also keep a pulse internally of which teams are integrating or implementing which sorts of AI capabilities and tools across the business so that the marriage of those two kind of data points allows organizations to stay ahead of new and emerging regulations. I, I, I like that point. And I think, you know, we were going to, and we are going to talk about standards because even though it's it's early in the morning here in New York, um, it is a fascinating topic to tackle each time. But but before we do, um, Caitlin, I'm, I, I think a lot of what we're hearing here is that there there is a an old normal and the old normal remains really important for for organizations to stay on top of you know basic hygiene from a cyber perspective uh data management compliance don't panic because the tech is changing or don't panic because the regulation is changing but at the same time i can't help but think that there's got to be something new here and there's got to be some challenges that organizations need to be thinking about or weren't ready for you know your your point about technology agnostic is a really strong one but surely given the failures we've already seen i mean we've already had a couple of data leaks that were brought upon by by misuse of of public um generative ai tools is there something new should should companies be looking at this from a risk perspective and think okay yes the basics still matter but there's something out there that we haven't thought about yeah absolutely i mean there are specific risks that come with rolling out, whether you're implementing AI yourself or you're onboarding third parties. And for large companies, they have the advantage of having resource and budget to invest in ensuring that they have the right people engaged. If they don't have that capacity internally, getting the right people outside to come in and help them understand what those risks to their organization now they're using this new technology are to ensure that they have the right controls and parameters in place. And equally, we have the threat scape. So AI has proliferated quite in quite impressive ways in the threat sphere, um, adding operational efficiency. So with any good risk management or security management program, you have that feedback loop, right? So it's important to be constantly checking in having the right monetary systems in place, the right threat assessments to ensure that your security and risk management strategy is aligned with what you're seeing in the threat space. Um, obviously, if you're a smaller organization, there's a lot of challenges. Uh, if you're, especially if you're innovating new technology, I'd say for smaller companies, it comes back to the fundamentals. What I've seen a lot in startups is everyone owns everything. So essentially everyone owns nothing. 
So it's about <laughs> roles and responsibilities. It's about having someone on your team. If there's two of you, I've been in organizations where there's been two or three of us, one of you has to invest time and energy in understanding your security, privacy obligations, uh, regulatory obligations, because it might not matter when you're worried about cost and cash flow, but in terms of when you're actually trying to get customers, you know, that's going to be a major roadblock if you can't comply with their security requirements. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, I don't want to spoil future episodes, but we are planning on talking about two things that I think here will echo to your point. One is sort of the return or the reemergence of, of zero trust as a major point of discussion in sort of large enterprise networks. Um, which which echoes that that interdependencies with with smaller suppliers, and the second one is more broadly supply chain management from a cyber and digital risk perspective, which which again is is one of the primary concern that most organizations we're working with have. But um, Steve, just just bouncing back off of what Caitlin's describing here, and you know you're the guy um, who looks at standards and goes, "This is great. I I want to I want to dive into them. I want to I want to help organization. I mean, I think you you've contributed to a few of those standards personally yourself. So, uh, can you talk a little bit about what we're seeing at a standard level? Um, but importantly, how that may or may not change the way we've done digital risk or cyber risk assessments uh, in the past. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the ways to think about AI regulations and AI standards in comparison to cybersecurity is a yes and approach, right? Mm -hmm. All the things that companies are already doing right in the world of cybersecurity still apply in the AI world, right? If we use data as an example, right? We talk about data privacy, data security, and cybersecurity. We talk about encryption at rest, encryption in transit. All of that still applies. When we get into the regulatory and the standards of AI, you actually just start to unpack the data and there's a yes and. It's, it's yes, the protection of the data and the integrity of the data inside. And so I think that's reflected in some of the standards that we've seen come out. So early last year, NIST came out with the, the AI risk management framework. Um, late last year, we had ISO coming out with 42001 as their, their new AI management system standard as well. And how I would describe both of those documents is really risk management with AI characteristics. And what I mean by that, again, it's, it's that yes and approach of if you're doing risk management already, you're just building on top of that foundation when it comes to, to AI. So we're talking about the same sorts of steps and processes of setting requirements and objectives for your AI system that you're looking to integrate. We're talking about planning and development with that focus on what Caitlin was mentioning, metrics and monitoring, understanding how you're going to grade the performance, evaluate the performance of your systems. And then impact assessments being a very critical pillar of understanding, again, if something were to go wrong, what across your business operations and your business processes could potentially have collateral damage as a result. So it's the monitoring, the assessment piece, and then again, as Caitlin mentioned, the continued refinement and improvements of that system over time. This is not a kind of fire and forget type of capability that you deploy across your network. It's very much something that will require constant care and feeding to ensure that you're both squeezing the most opportunity out of it for the business, but also keeping a pulse of that risk across the life cycle of the system. If you have any questions about any topics regarding cybersecurity or technology issues, please feel free to email us and our experts will get back to you at cyberatcontrolrisks.com. So Steve, it's really interesting because I've 
just come back from a couple of weeks of working with some of our clients' boards and executive committees on looking at their exposure to these emerging risks linked to the implementation of generative AI and, and new technologies. What has struck me that hasn't happened before in my experience has been the real enthusiasm that exists to discuss risk management and to discuss particularly cybersecurity uh, at this level, because I think this is a tremendous opportunity uh, for many CISOs and CTOs. And going back to your point, Caitlin, that's certainly one thing that is specific to large organizations, but I think the realization of the dependency that most very large organizations have on small supplier and particularly small application or software development houses um, is a massive opportunity. I've never heard COOs, GCs, and CEOs talk excitedly about the fact that NIST 2.0 was coming out or that you know we have now an AI risk management framework. I, I, I kid you not. I mean, I had a, a thrilled discussion with a general counsel of a very large U.S. organization last week about what might come out from the federal government as an AI regulatory um, focus. And this is, this is new, right? For so long in our field, we were talking about it's difficult to show the value of good security. It's difficult to show the value of good risk management. Well, paradoxically, as the technology's gotten so complex and maybe so difficult for people to really grasp the actuality of the risks, we are essentially arriving in an era where people will trust more, will fund more, and I think will provide more resources to both the development side and to the risk management side. I just thought that was an, an interesting anecdote, but I want to go back to something that that we talked about from, and, and getting both of your takes would be interesting. We mentioned that a lot of regulators are going at this by, by sort of going back to the basics and what we already have in terms of data management, in terms of cybersecurity, in terms of privacy. We have some novel regulations, but... My question to you guys, and and uh, I don't mean to be overly provocative, but my question to you guys is, isn't there a bit of insanity that's coming out of the public discourse around what needs to be regulated? Is that not distracting our focus? And again, in some of our client organizations, um, the discussions have sort of spun out quite significantly going towards, well, is, you know, are we, are we in the Skynet era? Uh, is, is, AI going to launch autonomous weapons out in the sky and attack people. Um, you know, have you felt this sense of distraction in the conversations that you've had or in your experience uh, in terms of where organizations are really identifying the risk? Or do you feel on the contrary that actually after all the noise, people kind of understand it right? Sure, I can I can jump in here. I think it depends who you speak to. I think there are certain people within organizations who maybe aren't as close to the compliance side who maybe buy into some of the panic and that can be distracting. I have my own opinions here in terms of sort of the amount of information we're exposed to this on a day-to-day -day basis. Space, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I think there are um, unique elements to um, AI 
risk management that do need to be taken seriously and are a cause for concern if you don't have people with an understanding of the technology either helping you or inside the organization. And those are like elements to do with sort of the ethical considerations. So if you're working with an AI provider, you know, how are you mitigating bias, um, handling transparency, managing the risk of hallucinations? You've got the scalability question with AI, with the GPU shortage issue, um, integration is a is a key is a key one as well, and then of course relevant. So AI is moving so fast with with um, language models. Um, how do you ensure that your providers' models, their training, uh, the data they're using is is relevant to the problem that they're meant to be solving for you? Um, so so yes, if you're not taking those parts seriously, then there is a cause of concern. But otherwise, I think it's uh, yeah a little overdone. Mm-hmm. And I think it's. What's I think your it's- take? I think it's a different flavor of panic that we've seen across kind of the the buyer and seller spaces. So in the developer space, I think very early on, say mid last year, we saw the spike of AI is going to take over the world. We need to stop it now. We need to put a kibosh on on all new developments and trainings, right? And 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 so you have organizations that are at that level. You have your your Googles, your OpenAIs, your Microsofts that do, as Caitlin mentioned, have to maintain and integrate those strategic risks into their long-term you know, development planning processes. But on the user side, I think you almost see not necessarily panic, but an understanding that there is a plethora of unknowns in the in the AI space. And I would actually say that's a major contributor to what you were talking about, Nick, with boards and executive committees and C-suites that they see the opportunities. They're hearing the opportunities from vendors, right? We're, we're going to build efficiencies in our processes. We're going to lower costs. We're going to enhance existing products and services. All incredible things that, that AI can bring to the table. But you also have all these risks of it's unpredictable, it's mm-hmm. non-transparent, it's this black box that if something goes wrong, you won't know until it's too late. And so I think we're seeing folks that have ownership within the risk management lifecycle recognizing that we're, we're in a time where the opportunities are in fact worth a, a lot of risk appetite. And so they want to just make sure that they have these risk management processes really kind of cemented into their businesses to ensure that they can realize those opportunities smartly and deliberately without onboarding additional risk that puts them outside of their risk tolerance levels. I think it's an interesting point you raise here, Stephen. And Caitlin, I want to come back to some of the things you've mentioned around particularly the vendor management aspect and sort of thinking through um, what that landscape looks like and how organizations deal with it. But I I do think that the, the differential between user versus developers that you mentioned, Steve, is, is critical. And I, and I think this is where some of the companies that we've seen handle this the best, made that distinction from the start. Um, Gen AI and the organization was not, is not equally looked at. Uh, there is a use case for end users. There is a use case for developers. And those two things are kept rather separate. And I think that's a big part of the policy statements that need to occur in most organization is a blanket policy on AI is probably not the right way to look at it. Having a use case driven policy on AI is critical because again, the complexities of our modern organizations, the complexities, and you can look at this from a societal perspective as well. You know, politically speaking, we are seeing more and more types of focus 
you know, deep fakes were recently in the news and some of the concerns around this. This is a different use and different type of Gen AI regulation that's going to come out versus what we're seeing in the medical space, as you mentioned, Steve, around sort of patient data and otherwise. I think that's a really critical step in the awareness process that most organizations really need to think through now. Is there a difference between Gen AI from a corporate perspective and from a development perspective and your end users? Because we know most organizations will rush to streamline and increase the efficiencies of processes to make PowerPoint presentations, to manage Excel data sets, to manage, you know, the day-to-day of most of their employees. And that's great. And that should be Gen AI driven. It should be enhanced by it but it should be controlled that way. And it should very much be the end users sees the output of what has been decided by a development team that is operating under completely different policies. Um, I want to come back, Caitlin, to the point that you made on vendor management. And, and if I can ask you to dive a little bit deeper on this one, because that's certainly a question that's starting to come to us more and more is clients asking, you know, what do I have to check? What, what do I have to ask? What are the considerations uh, when I do go and either procure services linked to AI or um, kind of look at the landscape of what's available to me? Sure. Um, I think with vendor risk management, when it relates to AI, it comes back to some of those additional considerations that I mentioned around the ethics, about the reliability, the relevance. Um, so you unfortunately will need to be updating your third-party risk management processes and getting the right people in to help you do that. At this point, it will have to be sort of probably bespoke. Um, and that's why it's good to get the right advice. Uh, get people doing site visits as well, especially if you're doing localized training models uh, to make sure you have oversight about what's going on there. Um, but it does need a reassessment. Vendor risk management is going to be huge, especially when there's sort of on the uh, vendor side a race to sort of sc- jump ahead, um, offer the best services right. at the expense of sometimes good security, good privacy. Yeah, And, and oftentimes, frankly, just slightly charlatan yes, 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 yes. salespeople. But, um, you know, and no offense to any salespeople out there, I think it's very important. Uh, the, the point being, though, is everything's so new that, you know, double check the facts. Steve, you've, you've helped a number of critical infrastructure organizations kind of think through that vendor and supply chain component. What, what's your take on it? What's, what's the tenure of the conversations you've had since, since the advent of Gen AI? So I, I've said on the podcast before on the, in the cyber world that I think we're going to see the dwindling of self-attestation when it comes to kind of due diligence of vendors. Yeah. Um, and I think we're, we're going to see the not start of self-attestation in the AI space. Right? Mm-hmm. I think companies are well aware that a questionnaire will remain insufficient yeah. to identify key AI risks. But on the technical side, to add to what Caitlin's talking about, we've had a couple of clients come to us with this this problem of data lineage, right? Mapping data from its source all the way through to the tool that they're purchasing or investing in, right? And that's becoming increasingly important from a risk management perspective. I talked about with AI, it's yes and you're unpacking the data to do risk assessments on the data itself. And that's really key here of if if you're a company looking to invest in a vendor that's selling an AI powered capability or tool, 
diving into the training data sets becomes increasingly critical to understand what level of accuracy you should be expecting. Is the training data representative of the output you're looking to gain, going back to that requirement setting and objective setting part of the risk management process. But it really comes down to a higher fidelity understanding of the data that is the backbone of of these tools and capabilities, because if the data is inaccurate, non-representative, corrupted in some way, that's going to be carried through the entire operational process of that tool. and, And it may become unusable for companies that have purchased it, invested in it, or are trying to use it. That point is one that we've talked about for almost a year now, uh, before you, you sort of embark in procuring, developing, marketing, um, AI capabilities, know what you actually have, know what you want to do and how you plan on doing it. Have you seen that change? Are we still in the era where most companies and most organizations out there are still, we're going to do AI, but we don't quite know what, and we don't quite know how, and we don't quite know where. Or has that matured already? I think it's dependent on the customer, right? And and I think the technology space is probably leading the way of having just a foundational understanding of what AI could do for them. Right. And I think you have some more matured organizations that are setting requirements before they go to vendors. And then you maybe have, you know, a, a newer, less technology focused set of potential customers that are looking to vendors to tell them what AI can do for them. And so the vendor will say, my tool will do X for you, we'll do Y for you. And I think you have a little bit of a dichotomy here of organizations that are setting requirements and then shopping around versus organizations that are shopping around in order to set their requirements. And and that's clearly a critical part that we'd recommend any organization out there to think through as they look at what's available out there is, you know, you don't go to the pharmacy before going to the doctors. Um, Figure out what you want to do and then go and identify whether or not there is uh, applicability in the market or availability of resources in the market. Um, Caitlin, you've been on the receiving end of this as as in the startup side and sort of um, providing emerging tech capabilities to, to large organizations. What do you think the supply side of this equation needs to think about? Is there elements there where there should be more transparency? Are there elements there where obviously there's competition going, but where to some extent that transparency can become a USP and can become something very valuable for these small tech companies to go out there and and, and make their presence and their products known in the market? Uh, absolutely. I'm a big believer in um, from day one in small businesses. And I tried to do this in the startup that I co-founded two years ago, where we were building LLMs to help fight fraud and financial crime, especially in the crypto space. So using lots of buzzwords, crypto, <laughs> LLM. Um, but unfortunately, you know, <laughs> It was, again, the cash flow issues, development issues, staying ahead. Um, that often meant that those things dropped down in the to-do list, which is why, again, I encourage you if you're engaging these sorts of companies <laughs> that you really take your due diligence very, very seriously. Um, it can also help the small companies. Um, my advice to, to other small businesses is leverage good relationships. So if you're doing some of your inference and inference is a very important part of LLM development. It's the part after training when you're actually running data through an LLM. 
um, to test and see if it actually does what you hoped it would do in training. So an inference of your leveraging edge computing or cloud computing, make sure those partners are supporting you to get your security and your privacy up to speed. Um, because they, after all, want you to be pushing their cloud computing to the world so they can give you a little bit back mm -hmm. as a small company. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, essentially, uh, it's, it's very, very important just if you are onboarding AI to make sure that you are doing really, really effective vendor management, because I can just tell you that it can get lost in the list of priorities, but it can also be a USP. So... I, I think the point you've just made here around the, the mutually beneficial aspect of, of this is critical. And where we've seen really successful corporate application of emerging AI use cases has very much been in the partnership realm. And obviously, you've got the major tech players out there, the Googles, the Microsofts, the Amazons, who are providing, to your point, the computing capability. Uh, we're seeing a lot of companies partnering with NVIDIA in terms of actual kind of, sort of both microchip and application of AI. Uh, but the point of a lot of these use cases are going to start being defined or delivered by small and medium enterprises who will not have the resources and oftentimes will just not even have the time to look at some of these elements as a on the buyer side of this and on the risk management side of the buyer um you know thinking at this thinking through this as a partnership and as really mutually beneficial of sort of Rising water raises all boats. I don't exactly know how that expression goes, but um, you get the point. It's very much something that's going to be uh, a long-term advantage. And you can forge partnerships where you can start influencing the development of the technology from the vendor side. That is also incredibly valuable to you. Right. We could talk about vendor management and supply chain risk for hours, but I want to refocus back into... Uh, fiction versus reality. And I want to talk a little bit about the actual threats that we've seen and the materialization of the risks that we talked about for the past year, whether that's from an integrity perspective, confidentiality, availability. We talked a little bit about, um, you know, what's already happened out there, but I want to get your take, guys, on whether or not you see um, the primary type of threats and risks to these systems being radically different. And I want to put aside the accidental or the insider element of this, because I think this is a, a different conversation that we'll have at a later date. I really want to think through, you know, we've still got a war going on in Eastern Europe. We've got a war in the Middle East. We have growing geopolitical tensions, a lot of control risks, uh, thinking and, and, and political risk analysis has been focused on the U.S. election that's coming. We've just had an election in Taiwan. The world is in quite a state at the moment. Um, has that materialized in cyber? Certainly, but more specifically on AI systems. You know, are we seeing what we had been fearing at the onset, or is it actually still very much in its infancy? I think right now we're still seeing AI being used to enhance traditional cyber mm -hmm. tactics, right? I, I'm, I'm remembering just this week we had a news article break about uh, a corporate chief financial officer who was impersonated in a deep fake to one of their employees, right. leading to the loss of tens of millions of dollars. It's the same phishing, vishing, smishing type of attack, but now enhanced with more believable 
you know, technology behind it that, that makes them more successful. We've seen AI used a lot in the, to, to bridge language barriers between threat actors and targets. So if you've ever gotten a spam email where, you know, the, the wording is off, the, the translation looks like it, it didn't make sense, you're more attuned and more likely to identify that as spam. However, if you were to feed that email into a generative AI platform and say, make this more conversational, make this sound like it's coming from an executive, right? It provides, again, that, that greater sense of believability in that kind of vector of attack for threat actors. That being said, I do think it still is in the infancy, and I think we are still waiting to see mm-hmm. how these threat actors are going to innovate with AI in such ways that they develop new threat vectors to target organizations. Yeah. And that's that's something our cyber threat intel analysts are, are looking at every day of keeping that pulse to say, where are we seeing new tactics? Where are we seeing new uses of AI in the nefarious space? And how are we pushing that information to our clients as soon as possible so they can enact the appropriate controls? And I would just reiterate what Steve says. I think technology's uh, a vector. I mean, essentially you have humans wanting to target other humans and they will, you know, utilize operational efficiency when they can. And criminals have the advantage of not having to worry about regulatory compliance. So I think we'll have a a lot more to to come over the next few years. Uh, And that's why if you can afford to invest in in threat monitoring, scenario planning, um, you should be doing it. We should be budgeting for it. <laughs> right. And I do love the sentence, you know, criminals don't have to care about um, compliance. I, I think that's a very good point. And we can't forget, again, from the pacing perspective. And, and one of the reasons why we always forewarn clients, it's not because it hasn't happened yet that you shouldn't be thinking about it, is exactly because it'll just take one of these attacks to be highly successful for it to have potentially systemic impacts. And so it's certainly something that, that's being watched for. And I think it also explains the pace at which governments have been publicly discussing AI strategies, AI multilateral cooperation and collaboration, which I think is is going to be a critical point to look at in the future and probably the subject of another episode when we get to it. Guys, I don't want to keep you both for too, too much longer, but I want to ask you one last question. And this is becoming a, a classic in our Decrypt episodes. Um, this is your Nostradamus crystal ball question. Uh, 12 months from now, we're sitting together yet again across New York, DC, and London. Um, and we're starting an episode on AI. What's changed? What's the prediction that you would make right now and that you would tell our clients and our listeners, this is what you have to be worried about? Okay. So <laughs> I think it is going to be Don't the rush. vendor risk management piece at this point, just because competitions only get going to get more and more intense. Uh, right now we have some of the GPU supply side issues, but there's rapid advantage, advancements being made there. Um, on the training side, they're even looking at like CPUs being able to, um, you know, host LLMs. And on, on the inference side, you have edge computing, cloud computing, which again, AI is feeding into. So making efficiency gains there, quantiza- quantization, which allows LLMs to lower the computational load. So there's going to be just like rapid advancements, um, which means that there's going to be a lot of vendors coming after you, trying to push their technology. There's going to be this feeling of uh, needing to have some of this AI in-house um, to stay ahead. Uh, so it's just, yeah, vendor risk management, third-party management. Um, that's the key. Um, and in terms of the broader AI space, 
I see more convergence across technologies. I'm a super advocate still for Web3. And I think blockchain is coming. (laughs) I think blockchain actually is a really interesting technology when it comes to verification of generative AI content. So I'm looking forward to seeing more convergence in this space. Um, So if anyone's working on that, you know, hit me up on LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) I think for me, a year from now, we're going to be talking about kind of the whiplash aspect I talked about before, where we're going to see organizations identify or even stumble upon new opportunities Mm -hmm. for the use of AI across their businesses. And those opportunities are going to spawn new threats and new vulnerabilities. And then, you know, the system is going to have to figure out how to mitigate those risks before threat actors can identify them and employ and deploy them against targets. And I think it's going to create this almost chaotic tempo for organizations that are now having to devote more bandwidth to keeping the pulse of the industry and ensuring that their risk management processes, procedures, environment are keeping pace with what others are doing, what others are seeing, so that they're not the ones that are caught unawares on the threat side. And so I think it's it's we're going to see, and we've already seen a number of, of CISOs come to us and say, it's too much to keep up with. It's, yeah. it's so difficult to stay abreast of both the opportunity and the threat and risk space for AI. And I think you're going to find a lot of organizations that are going to have to increase the amount of resources they devote to, again, both the opportunity and the risk management side of leveraging AI to continue to enhance their business. I, and I think your two points combined is absolutely where a lot of organizations need to think through things because to your point, Caitlin, whether it's Web 3.0, uh, the metaverse, quantum, uh, we are just at the beginning of a very significant pace acceleration in digital technologies uh, for most organizations. And AI is going to be a massive contributor to this. We've already seen advances in terms of bioscience that have, you know, would have probably taken decades, but with thanks to Gen AI and a enhanced computational capabilities, we're going much faster. But I think that convergence is then going to have a significant impact on what you're describing, Steve. And maybe one day we'll have all of this fully automated and we'll have AI risk managers that will run around and will facilitate um, the actual amount of work that we humans have to do. But in the meantime, I do think the criticality of planning for that resource increase planning for the ability to start looking at these technologies transversely across their various functions, but how as a whole they will enable your organization or the broader community to achieve better objectives and and more efficient ones is going to be critical. Well, guys, I wanted to thank you very much for your time today. It's been a fascinating discussion and I'm looking forward to continuing the conversation in the next few episodes of Decrypt. Caitlin, in particular, thanks for joining from London. It's fantastic to have you join Controlis and fantastic to have you on Decrypt. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be part of the team. And Steve, as always, a real pleasure to have you on as a frequent flyer on our Decrypt episodes. Um, Thank you. Thanks, Nick. Great to be back. We have a whole host of episodes coming soon to Decrypt, covering the most crucial topics, breaking news, and strategic horizon scanning within the world of cyber that you need to be aware of. With analysis and discussion from our experts located around the world, subscribe to Control Risks Decrypt as we help you make sense of the cyber and technology issues impacting your business. 
For more information on how we can help you build a resilient, compliant, and secure organization realizing the benefits of technology, visit us at www.controlrisk.com. And remember, our experts are only ever one email away. Email us at cyber at controlrisks.com.